Father in heaven in Christianity, we say Atman, Brahman, the self, that all are cinnamons. They all mean the same thing. So there's no difference. But the ish problem is that we don't understand that. We don't realize that. And that's why it is all wars and fighting and hatred. It's because of our ignorance and we don't understand that. So as we gain this knowledge, knowledge of the self, we say, knowledge of Atman, Brahman, knowledge of that drop within us, that supreme reality, we, we, we start identifying with people more. We start identifying with what's around us more. You go in the garden, you see the trees, the leaves, you identify that as being no different from you. You see animals, beings. You see your enemies. Everyone is the same. And that can only happen once you become self-realized. That identification can only happen when you yourself realize this to be true. Right now, it's just words. And, you know, we hear it and uh, it uh, enlightens us to a certain degree. But we don't actually practice it. We don't believe it. So... Once you become self-realized, you become one with the self, then your vision changes. And that's what verse 29 is going to be explaining to us and thereafter. I'm just laying down the foundation. Yeah, any questions? Yeah, so now we all know what the self is. So remember that, it's very important. So you're on the self-discovery, we can say, by coming to these classes, you're on, on the path of self-discovery. You find out who you are. The real you. Not what's on your passport. Yeah? Okay. So, verse 25. Little by little, let him withdraw by the intellect held firm. Having established the mind in the self, let him not think of anything else. He said, slowly, slowly withdraw from the world. It must be done gradually. You can't do it overnight. It takes time. And you shouldn't even try to do it overnight. It's not easy to control that mind. It's very extroverted. Physical body you can control. Mind is more subtle. It needs more effort to control it. And the only thing that can control it is the intellect. Another thing we said was, Try and think of Brahman, the self, throughout the day. Practice to think of the higher throughout your daily day. 
And if you do that, it becomes easier to remember. Everything in the universe is Brahman, God. You just have to identify with it. And then verse 26 we covered. By whatever cause the unsteady and restless mind wanders away, restraining it from that, let him bring it under the control of the self alone. For whatever cause the unsteady and restless mind wanders away, where does it wander away? Where does your mind wander away? Yeah? Where does your mind wander away? Neelam? It's always going back to the past, what's happened or the future of, you know, what you anticipate or would like mm -hmm. to happen. Very good. Yes, absolutely. It keeps going, jumping to the past and then it jumps to the future. It's never in the present. If I buy this lottery ticket now and you buy it, where does the mind go? Where does the mind go once you bought it? Come on, you all know this. Winning. <laughs> How are you going to spend the money? <laughs> How are you going to spend the money? Absolutely. It's already, you've just bought the ticket and the mind is already in the future. What will I do with this? How much is it? 12 million. Where would I spend that? How would I divide that? What would I buy with it? See, this is the nature of the mind. Everyone's mind. So when it wanders away, restraining it from that, bring it back. Bring it under the control of the self. We're talking about meditation here, by the way. But generally as well, it doesn't stay in the present. And if it doesn't stay in the present, you can't complete the work you're doing as efficiently as you should be able to because of the mind. It dissipates energy. And you feel tired. But as far as meditation is concerned, what did we say meditation was, by the way? What is meditation? Can anyone describe what is meditation? Yeah, Manita? It's like when you're just focusing on one single thing, which is what you connect with yourself with. So meditation, art of keeping the mind focused on one thought with the exclusion of all other thoughts. Exactly what Vanita said. Keeping the mind focused on one thought with exclusion of all other thoughts. As we said, the mind has many thoughts and desires. And because of this, the mind is in a state of agitations. Agitated mind cannot meditate. And it's only through meditation that you reach that state of self-realization. That is the gateway to get there. So you've got to be mentally prepared. So this verse is saying, whatever the cause is for that unsteady, restless mind to wander away from that single thought, whatever that thought is, Om, whatever, let the intellect bring it back to the self. That is the role of the intellect. And we said the mind is referred to as a monkey mind because it constantly moves from one thought to another. When the mind is given a fixed point of concentration, the mind slips into other thoughts. This is the nature of the mind. 
just like monkeys. Hence, it's called monkey mind. Any questions? That's 25 and 26 we covered last week. Any questions before we continue with today's verse? So as you said, this uh, topic is about meditation. So, you know, if you just get the, um, the substance of it, the gist of it, that's good enough. Yeah. Don't think you have to understand everything. It's not important at this stage. Right, verse 27. Upaiti Santarajasam Brahma Bhutamakalmasam Verily, supreme bliss comes to this yogi whose mind is perfectly tranquil, whose passion is calmed, who is sinless and has become Brahman. This is it. This is what enables us to qualify to reach that state. Verily, supreme bliss comes to this yogi whose mind is perfectly tranquil, whose passion is calmed, who is sinless. He has become Brahman. Checklist. You can checklist that this verse, everything in it, you're ready. Simple as that. So the last five chapters we've covered, like I said, chapter six finishes part one of the Gita. Last five chapters was preparation for this final stage of meditation. This is everything we have to do to, to get to this state of meditation. Uh, Nilam, could you read first one, paragraph one? This verse describes the final stage of meditation. A yogi, spiritual seeker, reaches this stage upon merging with the supreme bliss of Brahman. Verses from the third chapter up to the preceding verse detail the preparation and procedure necessary to reach this final stage. The next verse further expounds the attainment of the infinite bliss of Brahman, God. Thank you. So now you're ready. You've covered chapter five chapters. You've practiced everything prescribed by the Lord. And you're now ready. Position to meditate, which we covered how to meditate, the practice itself in the last class. So this verse is saying, whose passion is calmed, who is sinless. This means no vasanas. The passion is calm because you don't have any vasanas. There's no uh, desires going to the world. If there are no vasanas, there's no desires. If there's no desires, then it means there is no... What? 
What is in there if you have no desires? No, no agitations. No agitations. No vasanas, no desires, no desires, no agitations. No agitation means the mind is calm. Passion is calmed. The mind is calmed. It's not jumping anywhere anymore because it has no, nowhere to jump. There's no desires. You realize lottery is not going to help give Give you any happiness. Passion is calmed. And what do you need to meditate? A calm mind. And the Lord Krishna is confirming to us all here that if we do everything as prescribed, you'll be in a position to meditate and reach the state of self-realization. We have their faith in the Lord's words. What is self-realization? You can describe it as if it's like a river joining an ocean. Right now, you're a river. All of us are rivers. When a river joins an ocean, it loses its individuality. Becomes one with the ocean. Yes? River joins the ocean. When river Ganges, the river Ganges, you experience it. You see it, you bathe in it. You say, look at this mighty river, the Ganges. But when it joins the ocean, I think it joins the Bay of Bengal, it loses individuality. You cannot go to the ocean and say, this is the river Ganges, this section. It's all part of the ocean. The river Ganges is no more. It's lost its individuality. When the River Thames joins the North Sea, there's no more River Thames. There's only the North Sea. So it's saying, similarly, when we become, when you become self-realized, you, lo you lose your individuality, you become one with the self. One with Brahman. You no longer identify with yourself anymore. I'm not this body, mind, intellect. I am the self. It becomes reality. You introduce you, yourself to someone. I'm the self. I thought you were deeper than... No, no. I'm the self. You don't identify with deeper than anymore. Or Ravi. Or anyone. Your true identity. That dropped within you. The Atman. You understand, I am that and not this. One way of explaining what that state is. Any clarification? Any questions? So we all know what that state is now. Anybody doesn't want to get to that state? Raise your hand. So you have confidence that the Lord's words have some foundation. 
Nilam. Paragraph two, please. This final state is indicated here in terms of the causal, subtle and gross bodies. The causal body consists of vasanas, individual impressions, which stain the pure self. The yogi here has eradicated his vasanas and becomes stainless. With the reduction of vasanas, his subtle body, mind intellect, gains tranquility. With total eradication of vasanas, he attains absolute peace. As a result of this attainment, the gross body no longer rushes into the world with frenzied activities, rajas. When a yogi thus transcends his gross, subtle and causal bodies, he gains the state of Brahman, the supreme reality. So this paragraph is saying the same thing, what I've just, we've just explained, that you become one with Brahman. But it's, it's talking about the causal, subtle and gross body. And we'll have a quick explanation. This final state is indicated here in terms of the causal, subtle, and gross bodies. What is the causal body? We are made up of three bodies, the causal, the subtle, and the gross. Gross body, we all know. What is the gross body? What is the gross? Yep, Nipavan, she's pointed to her physical appearance. Yes, the gross body is what you see in the mirror, your physical body. What is the subtle body? Mind and intellect. Mind and intellect. Why is it called subtle? Because it's more subtle than the gross body. And then you have the causal body. What is the causal body? Vasanas. Vasanas. Causal body is the vasanas. Cause of the subtle and the gross body is vasanas. Hence, in the word causal. What's the cause of the subtle and gross body? Vasanas. Hence, it's called causal body. It's not necessary to know this, but we're just explaining. So it's saying that with a calm and peaceful mind, we must maintain this focus on the self. And we are no longer identifying with our vasanas, our physical body, our mind and intellect. We've discarded all that. The state of self-realization represents a state of no vasanas, no thoughts, therefore no desires. In the first class, whichever class, we said we are made up of the body, mind, intellect, and the self. Everyone remembers that, yeah? That's the only formula you need to remember. I am made up of the body, mind, intellect, and the self. So what separates us from the self is the body, mind, intellect. Now you become self-realized. There's no more association with the body, mind, intellect. You're back to where you, your true self. It's the fastness and thoughts and desires that separate us from the self. You've now gone back. And it's only when we reach that state, we reach the state of peace and happiness. Why? No more agitations. No more thoughts going into the world. No more worries. Will I win the lottery or not? You've won the lottery, the biggest lottery of life. 
you reach that state. See, that's why when you read about any saint, self-realized saint, if they're truly self-realized, they'll always be smiling. They'll always be content. They'll always be happy. There'll be no agitations. They won't say, I want to eat this, that, the other. I want to go here, there, and everywhere. I want this money for doing this. They have not a single worry in the world. Whatever you give them, they'll eat. They have no shoes, they don't care. One robe, and that's all they need. Now you know they've reached that state. A true saint, this is how they will be. And you read anybody's life who self-realized, this is how they will be. Any clarifications? We're explaining in the sort of detail what that state is, because this is what this verse is talking about. Okay, verse 28. Yunjanevam sadat manam yogi vigata kalmasaha sukhena brahmasam sparsam Atyantam sukhamasnute yunjanevam sadat manam yogi vigata kalmasaha Sukhena brahmasam sparsam atyantam sukhamasnute. Thus, constantly practicing union with the self, the yogi, freed from sin, easily attains the infinite bliss of contact with Brahman. Thus, constantly practicing union with the self, the yogi, spiritual seeker, freed from sin, Agitations easily attains the infinite bliss of contact with Brahman. Benita, paragraph one, please. The word evam thus indicates the culmination of all thus all the preparation and practice undertaken by a yogi seeker on this spiritual journey. Spiritual practice must be constant. Only with constant practice of the spiritual disciplines, karma, bhakti, and jnana, yogas, will the mind withdraw from its preoccupation with the affairs of the world. This renders the mind fit for deeper concentration and meditation upon the self. Using such a prepared mind, one plunges into a constant meditation until the remaining few vasanas, desires, drop off rendering one, one sinless. Sin, used in the context, means mental agitation. The sinless state, therefore, implies absolute peace and tranquility. Thank you. So it's saying spiritual practice has to be constant, right until enlightenment is attained. You can't be half-hearted. You can't just do it every Sunday morning. The rest of the week, you're doing everything else. You have to decide, this is where I want. You have to fix the goal. This is where I want to get to. You know what? I'm fed up of this life. I don't want to be born again. Why do I want to come back to this life? Constant agitations. 
constant suffering. I've had enough. Then you're ready to plunge into spiritual development. When you come to that state, there's nothing in this. I have all the money and what? I thought I'll be happy. When you come to that level, you realize it's not what it meant to be. It's not what I thought it would be. You know what? Now, let me read the Gita. What does Lord Krishna say? Okay, saying life is just agitations and suffering. Why didn't I read this before? Why did I have to go through all this experience? <laughs> I wish I knew this before. Okay, now I'll try. What is Lord Krishna saying? And then you plunge into it. But if you have a doubt, you know, I haven't been to Timbuktu. Maybe I'll find peace and happiness there. I forgot to go there. Then you are, it'll be difficult. You have to be 100% to get to that level. That's why a lot of these yogis, you know, the uh, serious seekers, they go away to the Himalayas and they don't want to be with anyone. They don't want nothing to do with the world. They just want to be on their own and meditate because they understand it's a suffering. It's only when you come to that level of understanding, you take it seriously. And that's only you can come to that conclusion based on your own experiences. So they're saying through such constant practice of the spiritual disciplines and meditation, the seeker removes all sin or mental agitations. What does mental agitations you know? Desires, unfulfilled desires. But what is sin? What is sin? What does it refer to sin here? Wasn't sin same again that anything that makes you feel guilty or agitated, that's sin effectively? Mm. You become sinless. Sin, mental agitations, the sinless state. What is sin in normal terms? When we say you have committed sin, what do we what are we referring to? Unlawful. Unlawful. Yeah. You commit a crime that is sinful compared to the law of the land. Absolutely right. But what about in spiritual terms? You rob a bank, you committed sin because it's illegal to rob a bank. You murder someone, that's a sin because it's against the law to murder someone. Yeah, that's how we see it. But in the spiritual terms, Nilam? Is it related to ignorance? Ignorance? Can you elaborate? Well, I feel like in, in previous classes we've talked about yeah. if you're when you don't have that higher knowledge, you can act out of ignorance. So you are yeah, I don't know, I can't say any more than that. Okay. No, good attempt. So 
what the sin referred to here, yeah, Shilabin. Is it when we disrespect or disregard a person's feeling? So you're hurting them. Hmm. So you commit sin by hurting someone. Yeah. Because this, that's the most important thing. Okay. Everything else is material, materialistic. But if you disrespect somebody and hurt their feelings and emotion, deliberately, not unknowingly, mm. I think when you do a deliberate thing, then I think that's sinful in spiritual terms. Okay. Well, um, you're partly right, actually. I'll elaborate in a second. Anybody else? Ravi, did you say, want to say something? Sorry, I thought I said it earlier. I didn't think I unmuted myself. I was just saying, in the terms, I think what we've learned in sin is anything that agitates you after you've done the process. So if you've gone and done a deed, that's perceived sinful in the normal terms. But if you've done it and you don't feel guilty about it, then it's not a sin. It's, it's how you feel that it's the sin. Absolutely. So what we're saying is sin is not in the action, but the reaction. So for Sheila Ben, if she upsets someone and they're upset because of her actions and she feels, I, don't, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? You're committing sin. Is it the uh, example you used, Andy, sorry, um, about like, let's say if you're eating meat, if you're not doing it and you're not reacting to it, it's not a sin. But That's I think correct. if you use that in the past, I think, is that right? That's correct. You're absolutely right. So, but somebody else might swear at someone, upset them and uh, feel nothing, laugh about it. <laughs> you see what it's the guy? And feel nothing, not a sin for them. You can murder someone and feel nothing. You know, the serial killers. Why do they keep killing? They don't feel anything. Not committing a sin. Because they're not agitated. Sin is in the reaction, meaning your agitations. Now, you've got to separate from the law of the land here because we identify with law of the land and that's why sometimes we don't understand. But anything you do, you know, you can step on an ant by accident and you realize anything, oh my God, I killed an ant. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. I killed another life. You're sinning. Someone could pour boiling water of a whole ant's nest and feel nothing. He's not sinning. That is what sin is, as far as spirituality is concerned. So it's different for different people. You know, sometimes we say, you did this to that person. You don't feel anything. How could you do that? Yeah. What we don't understand is they don't feel anything. We're feeling something. And that's why we're saying it. But they don't feel anything. What are you talking about? This is all I said. Not my fault he hurt. They hurt his, their feelings. Not my fault they feel like that. I told him what was the right truth. Not a sin. Because they, they have no reaction, no agitations. 
so this is what is sin. You can kill someone and not feel anything. You don't commit a sin. No mental agitations. So we can't judge anyone. This is the thing. You can't judge anyone and say, you did wrong. Because in their eyes, in their mind, they haven't done anything wrong. How can you eat lamb? You know, a little baby lamb you see suckling on the mother. Ah, Sunday, lamb. They have no feelings, no agitations. This lamb is very succulent, they'll be saying. No sin. Any clarifications? Does everyone understand now? So you cannot police anybody else and say you're doing this wrong. Did you want to say anything? Yeah, just remember, do you remember that circle and you've got all the circles around it, inner circles, mm. depending on how spiritually awakened you are and what you how you see the world and people outside of you. So if you just care about yourself and your family only, then obviously you're not going to care about the community around you. Is that is that what is associated with sin as well? Um that's associated with uh selfishness. Okay. Selfishness, self-centeredness, yeah, no identification with anything else, anybody else. Yeah, so slightly different. Sin is a reaction to any action you do. No, no reaction, no sin. Reaction, agitations, you sin. Say so saying self-realization, state of sinless. You do if not commit anything. How you feel if you feel conscious about your behavior. If you feel conscious, then you're sinned. You, you tell a child off, yeah, and he starts crying. You don't feel nothing. No sin. But if you think, wow, I told him off, I shouldn't have, I was a bit harsh, you know, and then you start buying him ice cream and you doing that's because you're trying, because you sinned. Yeah, you're agitated, you're trying to make it better for the for yourself, not for the child. <laughs> it's because of your own guilty conscience that you're doing that not for the child then you've committed sin so it's different levels as i said you can step on an ant and feel upset all day so it depends on how awake you are is that what you said the conscious depends on your consciousness like how conscious you are spiritually yeah. spiritually yeah identification falls down to identification See, when you reach self-realization, you identify with everyone. Why would you upset anyone? Same as you upsetting yourself. Isn't it? Because everyone is the same. You identify with the self in everyone, not their physical. So then why would you sin? Why would you tell anyone off? It's like you're telling yourself off. It's a concept that you have to think about a little bit, but not to worry too much. Next time you tell your husband off and you feel nothing, think about it, yeah? <laughs> well, I'm not feeling anything. <laughs> uh, paragraph two, please. 
This verse gives an indication of the time and effort involved in reaching Brahman, the ultimate reality. Sukena means with ease, without delay. Some seekers take a pessimistic view of realization. They feel that it is almost impossible to reach that accelerated state, while others believe in short courses to wisdom and even in instant recourses to enlightenment. The truth lies between these two extreme views. In fact, with dedicated and constant effort, one can easily attain enlightenment. Thank you. So it seems that to get to this state of self-realization, you may think it'll take ever. You know, how long is it going to take me? It'll take ever. It sounds like it. I can't even imagine how long it might take. So how long does it take to gain self-realization? Yeah, Dharmesh? There isn't a time limit, it's the amount of effort you put in. Amount of effort you put in, okay. What else? Anybody else? How long does it take? Yeah? Uh, as long as your vastness keep coming, it'll take as long as that. So it depends on how many vastness you have and how you yeah. can get rid of yeah. them. Good. Anyone else? How long does it take? See, uh, both of you, Vanita and Dharmesh, you've answered the question, which has no limitations. You both said it could take forever. Because <laughs> vasanas are forever. And time, Dharmesh, is based on the vasanas you have. So unless you cap those vasanas, it'll take ever. So in, in spiritual uh, texts, it says... He doesn't want to deject anyone. Yeah, They want to increase your confidence because if that's how you believe, then you're not going to bother. If it's going to take me that long, why am I bothering? Let me just enjoy life. So waste of time, this. And you'd be right to think that. Why would you waste your time? So it's saying in scriptures, it says, it could take many, many lifetimes to reach that state. It could take many, many lifetimes or it could take the time it takes to put a pin through a rose petal. So anywhere between that. <laughs> See, they have a fantastic way of putting it. You might think, you know what? That could be me. Pin through the rose petal, that could be me. Someone might think, oh, I think for me, it'll be many, many lifetimes. But you don't know. This is the point. You don't know where you stand. You don't know how many vasanas you have. You don't know how much effort you're going to put in. So just imagine it takes anywhere between those two points. It'll be next week. No shortcuts. You have to put the effort in. You see people advertising short courses of meditation, reach enlightenment, pay 150 pounds, you get to come on this course and reach enlightenment. It's not possible. If it was, Lord Krishna would say here, just do this and that's it, you're done. 
Yeah, why making it difficult for all of us? So there's no shortcuts. This is what it's saying. So Lord Krishna is putting, telling us how to do it. It's giving us the tools to do it, the encouragement to do it. We just have to have the faith. And that's in our, that, that, that ball is in our court. We can only do that. So depending on the effort, it could be a pin for a rose petal. No effort. You keep increasing your vasana with many, many lifetimes. Yeah? Last paragraph, please. The scripture refers to the bliss of Brahman as infinite. The Upanishads and other texts have attempted to a qualitative and quantitative analysis of the infinite nature of that bliss to awaken humanity to the staggering potential within. So the last, it says, one easily attains the infinite bliss of contact with Brahman. If you practice, if you practice constantly, union with the self, mean meditation, you easily attain the infinite bliss of contact with Brahman. The state of Brahman is the state of infinite bliss. So that's the goal and that's the reward, infinite bliss. Now, you should be asking me a question now. What is that question you should be asking me? All that effort you're putting in, all that meditation you're doing to reach the state of Brahman, of infinite bliss. What should you be asking now? I'm going to pull that effort in. I want to know. I want to know what is this infinite bliss? Why am I working so hard? Why am I doing all this? Is it absolute happiness? You're absolutely right, Sheila. But my question to you is, what is absolute? <laughs> Can you imagine absolute happiness? Can you explain to us what is absolute happiness? You're absolutely right, Sheila, what you said. The question is, that is the question. What is this infinite bliss? Absolute happiness. But that's the cinnamon of same thing. So what is this? Can you explain what absolute bliss is? It's when we feel no hurt, no pain, no remorse. Uh... So you get rid of all that and you feel absolute happiness. So what is the absolute happiness? When you come with one, with the self, when you join, when you... You see yourself as yourself, as one. Okay, good attempt. We can't describe that because we're not there in that state. To, we can only attempt in words because yeah. that bliss is wordless. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Infinite bliss, absolute happiness is not something that the mind and intellect can understand. It's undescribable. 
undescribable. Now you got it. But you know, the scriptures can describe it. The scriptures can describe it. We can't understand it. Mind and it's beyond the mind and intellect understanding. But the scriptures, they explain. Some, they give you some indication. The greatness. The greatness of infinite bliss. How can we understand it? Only way we can understand it is what we know. What do we know? What do we know? The only thing, yeah, Dharmesh, what do we know? Happiness in this world. Happiness in the world. Yeah. We only know the world. So we can only have a comparison based on what we know, which is the world. That infinite bliss it means is meaningless. So what do we know? We know the world. What do we think happiness is in the world means? Imagine you're the richest person in the world. Imagine you're the healthiest person in the world. For some, that might mean absolute happiness. Imagine you're the most knowledgeable person in the world. That might be happiness for you. Imagine you're married to the best husband or the best wife in the world. The wife is a goddess. The children are angels. Maybe that is what absolute happiness is. So if you can conceive something of that nature, yeah, that is conceivable. Maybe that is what happiness is. If I had all that, how happy I would be. Are you all imagining, yeah? One minute, Tanish. You're all imagining. Your husband is a Raja, your wife is a goddess. The richest man in the world, healthiest man in the world. So if you had all this, this is what the scriptures say. If you had all this, that is one unit of happiness. Is it everyone following? Yeah. All that in the world, that's one unit of happiness. So in heaven, it says, the scriptures say, let's say you're working with Lord Brahma. And you're an ordinary worker working for Lord Brahma. You'd be a hundred times happier than this one unit on earth. Imagine you're the manager, officer of those workers. You'd be a hundred times more happier than the worker. When you're Lord Brahma himself, you're a hundred times more happier than the officer. When you become self-realized, it's saying, you're a hundred times more happiness than Lord Brahma himself. Now, you have some idea. It sounds ludicrous. You can't imagine. That's exactly what they're trying to say. There's no way you can imagine what this is. 
cannot fathom. He cannot understand what infinite means. It's beyond the mind and intellect. So there's no point trying to explain. But this is what they say you will experience when you reach that state. So you see, Lord Krishna is saying, look, this is what you're missing out on. Why are you wasting your time in the world suffering? This is awaiting for you. <laughs> yeah, Damish. Oh, I know we all imagine we want more. Maybe we should imagine just being content. Be content. But the mind cannot be content. That's the problem. It's the nature of the mind. You cannot be content. That's the battery you need to work on. Absolutely. And how does it how can you become content by understanding life? Yeah. And this is what the scriptures is teaching us, how to understand life. But it explains things in a ludicrous way so that you can get an idea of what, what it's uh, you know, you're not supposed to get it. You're not supposed to understand it, but it gives you some idea. This is how it explains in the scriptures. It's unfathomable. Forget it. So that's what uh, is available to anybody who wants to uh, put in the effort to get there. Any clarifications? So, you know, in relative terms, one can say that you've experienced snippets of bliss and contentment when, for example, um, you attempt that contemplation or a mantra or a bhajan or... Mm. Um, so you can say that there are snippets of blissful experiences that are not because you're enjoying an experience of, for example, to eating your favourite food or whatever, but when you are thinking of the higher. So in that relative term, would that mean anything or not really? Would that mean you're a bit closer or it has no correlation mm. of the infinite to the non-infinite because it's in the world? Yeah. So does everyone understand what Sil is trying to say? Sometimes you feel that calmness, that happiness. You know, when you're sitting praying or meditating or you're reading some scriptures or something, it basically is elevating you. So when, it's, when you're elevated, you're forgetting all your troubles and worries of the world. Yeah. And because you've forgotten about all those troubles of the worries of the world, you feel a sense of peace, calm, and happiness. That's what you're experiencing. And it, as you said rightly, it's a snippet because the mind comes straight back into the world as soon as you finish. So that isn't self-realization, the state of the self-realization. It's an elevation of your mind where there's no agitations. See, you're thinking only of the higher at that moment. You're reading a verse of the Gita 
Lord is talking to you. It elevates your mind, takes your distraction away from what you need to do that day. So you feel that snippet of euphoria, of happiness. And it's addictive. Imagine being like that permanently. This is what they're saying. This is what they're saying. So if we experience that, those moments, and we understand the value of it, and like you said, become addicted to it, and then put in more effort to have more times like that, or I suppose complete action. So for example, if you're thinking, yeah, I'll carry on reading the Bhagavad Gita, I'll carry on doing the um, praying, I'll carry on doing the, whatever experience brought you to that, mm -hmm. okay. Are you then building up the vasanas for that more and more? Because if we're thinking about what vasanas are, they're, they're a thought process that you're having as a continuation, yeah? So if you're constantly kind of thinking about that, mm -hmm. are you changing your vasanas, your metamorphosing them, or what, what, how's it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you are changing your vasanas in that way, then it's a good thing. That's yeah, how it does it. Well, the more you practice that, the more elevation and happiness you feel, then more you want it, then of course your vast, you would want more of it. And what does that mean? More desires for it. it means you're creating vastness for it. And that's a good thing because you're not creating vastness for anything else in the world. Worldly things. Does everyone understand what Sittle was asking? Yeah. That bouts of happiness we sometimes feel when we're in a spiritual environment you know, when we're performing some action that is spiritual, um, it feels really nice. I mean, you may have not experienced it, but that is the kind of experience that you want to try and gain. Nilam? Can I just sort of comment on that, though? Because it isn't part of it that it's good to have those kinds of asanas, but surely if we're craving and seeking that state that's when the, then that's probably not a healthy thing. But if we're not, if we're just doing, you know, we've, mm. we're, we've got our mind fixed on or intellect fixed on that ideal, the higher ideal, and we just keep doing the actions and whether we have that state or not, Absolutely. you know, that attachment, would that be kind of the healthier way? Absolutely. That's exactly what I meant. If you start craving, then you're going to get agitated. I didn't get that feeling today. Why not? What did I do wrong? It didn't do anything wrong. So you shouldn't be craving for it. You should just perform the action. Yeah. And that may be maybe the result of your action of feeling that peace and happiness. But don't crave for it. Don't crave for it. Absolutely right. The Lord will reward you when you're ready for reward. It's that mental calmness. Good. Any other clarifications? So it's difficult to describe this state, of course, but we try and put a bit of humor into it. We try to talk about it, you know, so we have some inkling of what it could mean, you know, but it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our imagination. 
what the state would be. Right. Okay, so we'll resume next week. Um, just those people who haven't um, confirmed if the 26 is okay. At the moment, we've only got five people, including myself. So um, let us know, because obviously we need a good consensus of people to make it worthwhile as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think have a cutoff day. Yeah, no, I'll put it in there for you. I mean, if, if people reply, to be honest, by end of play tomorrow, it'd be good because then we've got to arrange the booking and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no problem. It's entirely up to you. I mean, you don't have to come to the class, live class, but if you want to come, you may gain more from it. You may be more focused. Um, who knows? Unless you experience it, you know. And if it's only going to be a small number, we'll have it at my house. Yeah. So we'll do that. And there's a cup of tea waiting afterwards. So, you know, there is some uh, <laughs> reward at the end of it. Great. Okay. So next week, Sunday, is it anything happening? Is it Diwali? Is it? Diwali. Next week, Sunday. Okay. Are we okay to have class or is it entirely up to you? No. No. Generally on Diwali day, people do Lakshmi Punja and, and all those things and, you know, cooking in the morning, so... Look, I'll leave it with you guys. It's entirely up to you. Uh, if you want an earlier class, we can do earlier class. Um, but if, if you feel that um, you're going to be preoccupied, then we won't have class, yeah? So, um, Ravi, could you do a consensus on that as well? Yeah, I'll put that in there. Thanks. Just so we have the numbers. If not, I understand totally. Um, you know, it's Diwali celebrations, we're all busy. Yeah. But the opposite of that is, is maybe to have a bit of knowledge from Lord Krishna on Diwali might make it even a better Diwali. So I'll leave it to you guys and to your conscience. All right. Have a lovely day.